Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey, you guys, and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. Today, I am here with a really special guest. I am super excited to be able to welcome Mary from Mary's Nest here onto the Pantry Chat. And we're going to be talking about a really, I think it's a really important subject, especially for this year. And that is making the most out of what we have already in our kitchens or available to us. Um, and specifically looking back in history, learning the lessons that so many people have learned before us and uh, taking a clue from them and learning from them so that we can cut the grocery budget a little bit this year, maybe, but still eat really, really well and great nourishing food. So Mary, thank you for being here. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Carolyn. I really appreciate it. <laughs> now, I love you guys. If you have not watched Mary's YouTube channel, you really, really need to jump over there and watch it. She has just the most amazing videos that are so clear and so helpful on learning about traditional cooking, really specifically. You cover all sorts of things, though, on there, Mary. You cover pantry storage and, uh, you know, the traditional cooking, making all sorts of amazing foods that are so nutrient dense and good for your body. And um, I, I'd like to dive into your history just a little bit, though, to start with, uh, you know, did you learn this from a mom or where did you learn how to cook in a traditional way uh, for the health of your body? I really learned everything pretty much that I know from my mom. And my mom is 98 years old. So I always like to say she knows a thing or two. <laughs> but it was very interesting because growing up, you know, as I've shared with you in the past, she and my dad were uh, living through the 1930s Great Depression, the rationing of World War II, you know, gas lines and inflation of the 70s. You know, she you know, lived through the whole gamut of things. And both her and my father were exceptionally thrifty and not in a bad way. You know, we always ha seemed to have abundance, you know, uh, but everything was, you know, abundance in terms of what we were eating, but everything was homemade. Hmm. And she would figure everything out. Uh, there were some things like she knew how to make a sourdough starter and make sourdough bread, but she was using, you know, what she could find, you know, at the local market. And she would have, you know, 
small purpose flour, bread flour, and she'd have her starter. And then my father was very fond of rye bread. So he managed to search out. He worked in New York City. I'm from New York. And he searched out uh, some source for rye flour. And then she said, "Okay, I'm going to figure out how to make rye bread, you know, with my sourdough starter. And my mother is Italian and sauerkraut was not something that was common to her. And my father is actually of Irish ancestry, but he uh, worked in a deli uh, where Mr. McGillicuddy, I kid you not, Mr. McGillicuddy would give him a big slice of liverwurst. And then he would go next door to the bakery where Mrs. Linda would, Mrs. what he called her, Mrs. Linda ran the bakery. And she was German and she would make rye bread and he would, and she always had a barrel of sauerkraut. And so she, he would say, oh, Mrs. Linda, what can I do around your bakery to clean up or whatever? And so she'd give him a job and then she'd give him uh, the rye bread, the sauerkraut and the liverwurst. And he would just love that. So even though my mother being Italian, she knew about fermented vegetables because she would make, you know, what they call a jardiniera. It's, it's mm-hmm. like the cauliflower and the carrots. And so, you know, we had things like that. And then she started making sauerkraut. And it was a riot because we lived in a very, you know, sort of Italian type neighborhood. And people were like, Gloria, what are you making? <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> we had the sauerkraut and the rye bread. And of course, just the regular sourdough. And my mother would always have me in the kitchen. She was very traditional. And she was very, uh, she felt uh, such a responsibility to teach me the domestic arts, to teach me how to cook, to how to sew, to how to clean, you know, all these things. Because in her mind, I was going to, you know, get out of high school or whatever and get married and I would need to know how to do these things, you know, so it was very important to her. So when I was about four years old, I had asked her, how do you make toast? And she was like, oh, wonderful. So that was her entree. I had showed some interest. So we were going to make toast, which started with learning how to make bread. (laughs) So and she explained to me, you know, about the sourdough starter. And it was all like a very, you know, very vague memories of this, you know. But then as time went on, she would teach me this. She would teach me, you know, fermentation. How to make yogurt, you know, was such a basic thing. It uh, and, you know, it's funny. I, my husband, I was just reminiscing with him how I would never eat Dan and yogurt at the grocery store because I was horrified by the fact that there was something, I didn't realize it was fruit, that there was something on the bottom because I didn't grow up seeing that. You know, everything, you know, we, we made homemade yogurt all the time. And it was funny because my father was a much more mainstream kind of person and he would look at stuff on the counter and he would say, Gloria, shouldn't you refrigerate that? And she would, and we, we laugh to this day, my mom and I, because she says, oh, don't worry. It's already gone bad. But it's like got going, having gone bad was a good thing. It had soured. <laughs> and we had a little farm up the street from us. We had a little, we lived in the suburbs, basically, like what they would call like rural residential uh, there were houses, but people had like, say, two, three acres. 
And there was a little farm up the street and my mom had a little metal box out outside of her door, front door, and the man would put the raw milk in there. And, and so this was very common. And this is what I grew up with. You know, I, I will confess the concept of soaking and sprouting, that was newer to me when I started reading Nourishing Traditions. And foods like kefir and kombucha, you know, obviously, you know, we didn't have those. Uh, but my mother had had a host of other types of fermented beverages, you know, that she would make. Uh, and so it was and it was always everything. And this, I think, is a, a being more ethnic than being American. And this is what my mother would tell me. She would say Americans are very concerned about heart health and not that that's a bad thing. And she said, when I was growing up, my mother being Italian and although, you know, living in the United States was very concerned about digestion. <laughs> and I think that digestion plays such a significant role when you talk about traditional foods, because the whole point is to be able to digest our food so that we can absorb the nutrients from it. And that, that was just so important to my mom. And she had to make sure that I knew how to, as she would say, properly prepare the evening meal. <laughs> you know, you're touching on so much. It's so important right here. And and tell me again, how old is your mom? She's 98. She's 98. I, you know, the, it, there is just so much depth of wisdom with this older generation I was just sharing a story about my grandfather when he was 98. He's now passed on at 99. But at 98, he would still wait until the hottest part of the afternoon in Florida. And then he would go out and mow his lawn at 98 years old. And uh, and I don't mean a, a ride-on mower, like a good old push mower. And he said, well, you have to sweat. It's good for you. Mm -hmm. And so for him, that was his physical, you know, that was therapy, that was health. And it, oh, there's just so much knowledge. And we really need to be telling these stories and sharing these stories to um, learn from these things before they're gone, because not all of us have access to 98-year-olds in our lives or 99-year-olds in our lives, you know, who can tell these things and can share them. So I absolutely love it that she's here and she's going, oh, what about your digestion? And we've kind of come full circle to that, haven't we? Yes. We're, we're starting to realize that everything kind of goes back to digestion. It does. You know, they talk about the nerve that runs from the stomach to the brain to the heart, you know, everything, you know, the good, the good bacteria, the good pro, I always say this word wrong, probiotics, you know, these things are so important today. And we are hearing it. And it's sort of funny because I, I'm sure my mother is like the sweetest lady ever met. And she would never go around saying, oh, I've been vindicated. You know, she's not like that. But uh, I remember in the, was it the 70s or the 80s when the low fat movement kicked in? And my father was telling her, you know, you really need to stop eating butter. And she would be like, oh, okay, that's nice. <laughs> and she kept eating her butter, you know. And I would say, Mom, smiling nod. Yeah, yes, right. Yeah. She was in charge of the kitchen. So, you know, 
And my, I would say to my mom, do you know, do you think we should buy margarine? Yeah. And she'd be like, Mar she who would have these cute terms she would say margarine is a prepared food or like packaged food you know now today i think people like say fake food or whatever and like the the white icing between the oreo cookies was glue you know you would just say it's glue don't eat it yeah but she would say no no margarine's going to set you on a path of bad health and I I find it so cute about your grandfather because my mother would be right there with him. My mother was a firm believer that you had to be out in fresh air and sunshine. The woman never used sunscreen, but she didn't sunbathe. You know, she had a hat on and was working in her garden. And yes, she would be very perspired, you know, and she was like, this is good. You know, this is healthy. And so it, 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 I, I find it so interesting that so many things we got off track with, unfortunately, and much to our poor health. You know, 98 years old, my mom's never had an operation. Uh, I mean, that, that just is amazing to me. And she's sharp and she laughs and, you know, <laughs> we have some fun because she does wear eyeglasses. And my husband will clean them with the eyeglass wipes, you know. But this is how cute and how sharp she is. She'll put the eyeglasses back on and she'll say to my husband, oh, my, you look more handsome than you usually do. You know, or something <laughs> cute like that, more handsome than you. And you're always handsome, but even more handsome, you know. 98 years old, you know, she's sharp and she's laughing and she's making jokes, you know. And so... Uh, it, it all boils down. I Yes, there's the role of genetics and all of that, definitely. Everybody in our family lives to be very old. But I think even if your genetics don't lean that way, you can help yourself by eating nutrient-dense foods. And it's it can be a challenge. You know, I know that uh, that's why I always tell people, do this slowly if you're new to implementing these types of foods into your diet. And unfortunately, sometimes you talk about budgets and whatnot. Some of these things have become very, very trendy and are a little more expensive. And so we've got to look for options. But the good news is I think there are a lot of options. There are a lot of nutrient-dense foods out there. We just need to be open to them and be willing to try them. But in, yeah. the, long, in the long run, I think it's going to, you know, keep us out of the hospital. You know, I, I will say, you know, with everything that went through, we went through in 2020, I managed to survive. And then in 2021, you know, you're out and about, what can you do? And I caught the virus, but I have to tell you, my oxygen never went below 95. I never had to be hospitalized. I was taking my bone broth, taking my elderberry syrup. I had no medication, you know. And after about a week, I was doing good, you know. So I I credit that. And I'm 65 years old. So, you know, I'm in that category where you heard people passing away. You know, it was scary. Uh, but again, I credit it to the fact that we have a nutrient-dense foods diet. Yeah, I think that's so important. That kind of gives you a foundation for everything, doesn't it? But you know, you're also touching on something else that I think is so key. And it's, it's a, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a rabbit trail here and leave the food for just a moment, because I think it's so 
applicable to our time right now. And that is the the people from this generation that we're speaking of, this older generation, they had a um, a mindset that was determined to be cheerful and just figure it out and keep going. And I know we had great grandma Jeannie living with us before she died. She was in her nineties. And I remember there was a moment where, um, you know, it just got, it got challenging. It was challenging already. It was the height of summer. The gardens needed everything. Things were starting to be harvested. And then the kids got head lice. Oh, goodness. I thought I was just going to have a conniption. I was like, I don't know. We've never had lice. I'd never dealt with it. And she was here. And I remember her saying to me, we just do what needs to be done. We don't need to worry about it or get upset about it. Mm -hmm. And it was such this just, look, this is where we're at. Don't don't get too alarmed about it. Just roll with it. It's going to be okay. And that's really spoken to me over the years. And I think it says a lot about that generation. On the other hand, right now, we're seeing a lot of fear. And I don't know if you're seeing this, Mary, but there's a lot of people who are very concerned. I think there's good reason to be watchful of the times right now. I think there's things we need to be aware of and be responding to. But there's also a lot of fear that's happening and people are scared you know, regarding the food supplies, they're scared regarding the economy and the political situation, just all these different things that are happening. And yeah, there's a lot of things that are changing right now, and it does make us feel unstable. But living in that fear does not help us solve it. It doesn't help us move forward. And it doesn't help us maintain either a healthy body or a healthy spirit by walking in that fear. And this is just something we see so strongly in that older generation that had to come through so many things is just like, we just do what we have to do next. And you might as well enjoy today because there's no guarantee that there'll be a tomorrow. And uh, did you, do you experience that with people in your life? Oh, my goodness. I, I will say starting, you know, with my mom and my father, my father lived to be uh, well into his late 80s. Uh, but and it's cute. My mother was actually six years older than him. And so but uh, in any event, it, it's cute because she got married when I think she was about 30. So she she was quite a trendsetter back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, I think she probably would have liked to have gotten married earlier, but uh, in any event, uh, she, I think the good Lord was just having her wait till she met my dad. But okay. yes, both of them were total optimists. And I will, and it's rather amazing giving how they grew up. <laughs> and my father was so poor that they used to have to search out of garbage cans for food. You know, and just bring them home and make the best of it. You know, he was really poor. He lived in Jersey City. My uh, mother was a little, uh, it was a little easier for her because she was in more of a suburban area of uh, New York City, uh, which was, again, that, you know, this is the 1920s and the 1930s, rural residential. So there might be a little farm and then houses with little lots, you know, like that. But my son had the best description of my parents. 
he said, grandma and grandpa not only see the glass, you know, the expression, the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. He said, grandma and grandpa not only see the glass is half full, they see it as overflowing. <laughs> and I thought, that's so true. And neither of them had easy lives. I mean, they had really hard times. My father was in the Korean War. He was wounded. He spent two years in a military hospital trying to recover, you know. And coming from such poverty, you know, and and yet they worked. My parents worked so hard. I, my mother never sat down. My father had to go back to high school, you know, when and he was in his twenties, you know, and then night school for college. And my, I, it's amazing to me. Even up into her eighties, my mother was up and down all the time. And the energy level is just shocking to me. But <laughs> something that my mother would always say, like when I was a teenager, it's interesting you're talking about people, you know, worrying and feeling depressed. And it, it does seem very amplified today, but it was around, you know, when we were young, too. And and I think especially you see it, you know, amongst kids in high school and college, because the future seems so uncertain to them and and there's a lot of emotion and a lot of hormones and you know all these things going on and i remember something just like your grandmother talking to you about the lice my i was going on to my mother about something i don't even remember what it was and i was going on and on and on just some trouble you know on and on and on and on and my mother was always there to listen, always to help with problems. She'd help all the kids in the neighborhood. You know, everybody loved her. But I I was just really going on. I was like spiraling down. You know, you've heard that expression. And my mother looked at me and she sat me down and she said, my, my full name is Mary Louise. And she said, honey, Mary Louise, you go on and on and on. It's really not necessary, sweetheart. We just pick ourselves up. God's in his heaven. All's right with the world. We'll get through this. We got to work. Work is prayer. Let's work. Let's keep busy. Let's stop complaining. That was a light bulb moment for me. You know, and I'm so grateful that our son was able to know my, my father, too, when he was alive and my and still with knowing my mom and really helping to always, because he's in that exact demographic of young people, he's 24 of young people worrying, you know, like you said, all the different things, the economy, you know, the political situation, whatever the case may be, and they hear all this stuff and they worry, but he's very optimistic. And he he really got this, you know, I think from my mom, just always saying, oh, everything's going to be, it works out, you know, just keep busy, just work. And, and I think that we've lost a little bit of that work ethic, you know, it's, I really, my parents, they're Catholic, but they had, you hear the expression Puritan work ethic, you know, the Yankee can do their East Coasters, you know, Yankee can do spirit, work, 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 work. And that was the mindset. And they never seemed to fall into like a depression, or, mm. or really worried. They weren't going around with rose colored glasses, but they were taking action to at least control what they could control and not worry so much about what they couldn't control. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I think, you know, it, 
that the modern advice is to kind of, you know, dig into those concerns, dig, dig into that anxiety. Let's explore that. Let's think about it, maybe journal about it a little bit. And, and, you know, you find yourself if you do that. And I know I've had this struggle at different times of, you know, not getting into necessarily a depression, but boy, if you get into a funk and you start just dwelling in that, you can stay there an awful long time feeling more and more sorry for yourself. But if you get up and you go, you know, there's the people a lot worse than I have it right now. What can I go do to help my family or help somebody else and take your eyes off yourself for a few minutes? Wow. It just changes the scenario completely around. And then next thing you know, you're going, well, that wasn't such a big deal. Why was I so upset about that? <laughs> so it's so much wisdom. And um, we, we really face a cultural problem when we take all of this wisdom from this older generation and we kind of throw that out. And instead, we go follow an expert who's learned some, you know, something at a college from another expert who's <laughs> learned it from another expert, you know, and who knows how many of them have have lived the life and had to live through that. And just so much wisdom here. So I absolutely love it. Uh, and I think it's it's so important for our time. There are solutions to all of the things that are happening. There are things that you can do today that, yeah, they may not change the state of the world. They may not change some of these big things that are happening, but there are steps that you can take to move your family, move yourself to a better place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this just kind of comes full circle right around to the kitchen idea. Mm -hmm. And eating better. It is hard to feel good in any capacity, emotional, uh, spiritual, physical, anything. If you're not eating well, it, yeah. it just, it's just a base principle in life. You, your brain needs nutrition. Mm -hmm. It needs it badly in order to feel well. So if there's somebody, Mary, who's just getting started, maybe they're kind of used to just eating a standard American diet and they're thinking, I want to make some changes. I need to save some money at the grocery store, but I really want to eat better at the same time. Is that even possible? Or is eating better relegated to health food stores with, you know, super high prices? Well, I think it's very easy to do. And, you know, I sort of sound like a broken record because uh, when I say easy to do, it's easy to do to make the transition to eating healthier and to just shop at a regular grocery store if that's all you have access to. If you have access to a farmer's market, if you have access to a local farm or a local ranch, all the better. But if you're just right at the beginning of your journey from what I like to say, like a processed foods kitchen to a traditional foods kitchen, and you're right at the beginning, you live in the suburbs where you live in the city and all you have access to is some local grocery store, I do feel that it can be done and I think it can be done easier and for less money than eating a processed foods diet. And I, I know I sound like a broken record because I say this a lot. Just start with a roast chicken. Mm -hmm. And I don't care where the chicken came from, because if you can buy organic, if you can buy pasture raised, I think that's wonderful. But that's not always in everybody's budget. And sometimes people will tell me, well, 
you just have to make room. You have to make it possible in your budget. And, you know, sometimes you can't, you know, sometimes gas is really high and sometimes heating oil is really high. And sometimes your kids need clothes, they're growing or whatever the case may be. So I never want to stress people out. And I never want to say to people, you have to buy the most perfect chicken. I said, buy any chicken, but buy a whole chicken. And even if you can't handle looking at it, you know, like with your or touching it with your plain hands, get some disposable gloves, but just put that chicken into the oven, roast that chicken, and you can just throw some vegetables, cheap vegetables, carrots, they're usually pretty affordable, onions, maybe you can get some potatoes and roast it all together in one pan. And now you're on your journey to a traditional foods kitchen because number one, the good news is most people like roast chicken. <laughs> You're not trying to say, hey, kids, I got beef nuggets. Come on to, you know, what do you call uh, liver beef nuggets? Come to the table, you know, liver mom, really? <laughs> so I, but I think everybody pretty much likes a roast chicken and it makes a wonderful aroma in your home. And I, I, and it, it doesn't need to be perfect. You know, nobody needs to be perfect. Nobody needs to stress their self. You know, I, I, I may have shared this story with you once before. I was reading something online and this girl was so upset. You could, it, it, the, the writing just went on and on and on with no paragraphs and just no capital <laughs> letters. And she was probably crying, you know, and it was all complaining about trying to have a traditional foods kitchen. And it was one of those forums where like people can, maybe like Facebook or something where people can, you know, comment on what she's saying. And I put, oh my gosh, don't worry about any of that. Just roast the chicken. You know, don't worry about sourdough. Don't worry about ferments. That's farther down the journey, you know. But I think that you just, and sometimes you can get a chicken, and I know I get a lot of criticism for this because people don't like when I say this, but you know, just buy any chicken. If you can get a chicken for 99 cents, you know, a pound, I, I think it's better than going through a fast food restaurant, even though maybe the chicken wasn't raised perfectly. I totally get that. But it's better than going to a fast food restaurant and feeding yourself or your children or whomever some kind of, you know, commercially prepared fried thing that you don't really even know if it's chicken. You know, I, I don't it, and I, I think there's something that's so important. And this goes back to talking about our parents, in my case, my parents, in your case, your grandparents. You sit down at the table. If, if you're religious, you say grace. If you're not, you just take a breath, you know, <laughs> and s- serve a meal. And even if you're alone, I was alone for a very long time. I was on the verge of turning 40 when I got married. I lived a a single life a really long time. But even if you're alone, you sit down, you take a minute, you take a breath, and you enjoy something that you cooked. Hmm. And the nice thing about a roast chicken is it's really not a lot of work on your part. It's a work on the oven. And then if you have a family or if you have friends, I often as a single girl, I would, it was funny because I would say to my neighbor, you know, and maybe, you know, she wasn't cooking and I'd say, you want to come over? And um, the funniest response I ever got was she looked at the chicken dinner and she said, oh my God, Mary, you live like an adult. I said, well, 
that we were in our late twenties, you know, and I was like, no, we are adults. <laughs> I find that you eat this roast chicken, you make conversation with your family. Uh, if you have some children who may be making the face, you know, about this not looking like maybe what they're used to. I always say employ my mother's way of handling these things when she was feeding kids was, uh, oh, and how are you today? And how was your school? And you know, whatever, you know, and I'm an only child, but my my cousin's father died early. And her mother had to go back to work. And so she was often with us. And there would also sometimes be some neighborhood kids. And if they would be like, oh, I don't eat this. And my mother would be like, oh, and what are you kids doing today? You know, she would like completely avoid it. And eventually people got hungry enough. And I'm eating away because I knew that's all that was going to be on the table. She was not a short order cook. you know. (laughs) But I, I think that's how you start. You buy something that's whole, a whole food, and without having to go to the store by the same name, (laughs) your local grocery store, you you buy real foods. And there are so many videos with internet today. There are so many videos on how to roast a whole chicken. You know, it's really a doable thing. And after you do it a couple of times, you're really on your journey now because now you've got the carcass and now you're making bone broth and now you're taking white rice, but instead of water, you're using bone broth. Maybe you've even been able to convince yourself to buy a little butter. And so you put a little butter in that rice and maybe you saw some sea salt and you say, okay, I'll throw in a few minerals, you know, (laughs) And little by little by little, you're transitioning to making real food. And that's the most important thing, that you're just making real food before you even graduate maybe to the super nutrient-dense foods. You're just making real food, and you're trying to make it as nutritious and digestible as possible while staying in your budget. Roast chicken bone broth is cheap to make. You're using the carcass from the chicken that you bought. And yet, and I always feel I have to give caveats, you know, whenever I bring up chicken that, yeah, it may not be perfect, but I think even Sally Fallon once was being interviewed, the author of Nourishing Traditions. And, you know, she was talking about how whole foods, regardless, not the store, but the food, you know, real food, regardless of how it was raised, you know, is better than processed food that may have a lot of chemicals things and yes maybe the chickens you know had this that other thing but you know it's still there's still benefit in a chicken there's still benefit in an egg and often the animal's body has ways I remember her talking about Sally talking about liver and people were very concerned about buying liver because it was going to be full of toxins and Mm -hmm. she talked about the science behind it and how the liver actually processes out all this stuff and, you know, and I may not be saying this 100% correct, but the bottom line was it was okay to buy liver if it wasn't perfect liver. You know, it still had so much nutrients to it. And so I think that's the, the, the way to do this in an affordable way. And then I always find this because my friends will always tell me this. And now being on YouTube, viewers will tell me this, 
that when you start cooking at home and making these foods homemade and, you know, buying rather than buying the cut up carrots, you know, today the grocery stores are amazing. Everything's already cut up and washed and bagged and all the work is done for you. And sometimes I think there's, you miss something. There's a little something about getting, you know, it sounds very woo-woo, very 1970s, but, you know, there's something about getting into the zone, like when you're cooking things. A lot of your worries can melt away, you know, and, and your mind gets very focused on what you're doing. And it's almost like uh, a form of meditation. You know? So, but and some people say, oh, Mary, you're going a little far on that. I don't like to cut the vegetables. But I think that you save the money and you just buy a whole carrot, you peel it and you save the shavings in your scrap bag that you then use, you know, when you make your bone broth, nothing goes to waste. That's a big thing with me. And I can't stand waste. And you cut off the tip of the carrot, the root of the carrot, you put that in your scrap bag, you're going to use that, uh, you know, as an aromatic when you make your bone broth and also to put minerals into your bone broth. And it's interesting how you just little by little by little are getting on this journey of, of, Mm-hmm. food you're cooking real food you know and and you're keeping it relatively affordable and then I lost my dread of thought then as you cook more at home and cook more from scratch where you're buying the whole carrot and cleaning it up to cook it as opposed to the bag of the pre-washed and already prepared for you you know if you kind of start can get used to it of of preparing your vegetables then you find over time you have more money in your grocery budget because you're not buying the prepared foods. You're probably shopping more the perimeter of your grocery store and you may advance to where, and it doesn't need to be sourdough. If you've never made bread before, and I know you feel this way too, probably Carolyn, trying to tell somebody who's never made bread, okay, we're going to get a sourdough starter going and you're going to make sourdough bread. Oh my gosh, they're going to look at you like you're nuts. But you teach somebody how to make a very basic sandwich bread. It, it Close to like a plastic sleeve sandwich bread, not exactly, you know, it is homemade. I personally think it's a little better, you know, but, you know, some people will go, well, it's not exactly like a sandwich bread and I'll go, it's close enough. It's better for you, you know, even if it's white flour and uh, uh, packaged yeast, uh, it, it it still has less chemicals. I know my mother used to read the the ingredients on the bread and she used to look at me and she'd go, what the heck are dough conditioners? <laughs> Why do we have to condition our dough? You know? <laughs> and then, you know, like all the preservatives. And so. You know, you you make a little sandwich bread, you have a little roast chicken, or you learn how to make, you know, some little dinner rolls, which are very easy to do. And little by little, you say, oh, wow, I didn't need to buy that $1.99 bag of something, and I made it for 50 cents. So now I have another $1.49, and I'm going to move that into my grocery budget. Mm-hmm. And then after time passes, then... You say, wow, I can buy that organic or pastured chicken. Or, and then you get into it, you know, I think it's, it's, you become a little bit of a zealot, you know, when you get on this journey. I'm sure I know I did, you know. And then you're like, okay, 
Who's raising chickens around where I live? Who's got fresh eggs? You know, okay. Oh, and you know, being in Texas, I'm like, I know there's a rancher somewhere who's got bones. (laughs) Well, what you're describing is so much our journey and our experience. And, you know, honestly, still, if I would have to go to the grocery store, I would be hard pressed right now today um, to go get an organic chicken. They are expensive and I have a lot of mouths to feed. That just does not multiply out in my favor. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so you do, you start with what you have access to. And I think in a lot of ways, we put up a lot of barriers for ourselves. I'll start when I can afford the organic chicken, right? Mm Because we think that there's that ideal. I like to say there's ideal and then there's practical. We want to know about ideal. We want to know yes. what to aim for. But we need to operate in practical. And sometimes practical is not organic and pasture raised. And, mm-hmm. you know, all of the things we wish it was, sometimes that's just ideal. And it's okay. It's all right to start right there. And have that skill of cooking at home. I am completely in agreement with you. If you do nothing else, just by making it at home from ingredients that don't have ingredients, you know, just a carrot and just an onion and just a chicken, that alone is going to start changing your health. You will see the changes over time. But it is also going to change your budget because you are going to save money by cooking that way. It is a complete lie that these packaged foods are cheaper because they're not. They really aren't. If you multiply them out unit cost by what it takes you to have a meal that is filling and satisfying, it is not cheaper for you. In fact, a lot of times it is extremely expensive. One time I went into the grocery store thinking uh, we we just were on such a budget. And, you know, I thought, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just grab a box of cheap Ritz crackers or something like that to give the kids a snack until we can get home. And I actually had the foresight to do the math for the unit price. And you know what? Fruit Mm -hmm. was, fresh fruit was cheaper Mm -hmm. than the crackers. (laughs) And I was blown away at that point. And I just said, it's just not worth it. It's not even worth it on the budget. So yeah, I love what you're saying. Start Mm -hmm. where you're at and learn the skill of just cooking. And it all snowballs. Your skill gets bigger. It starts increasing. Your budget gets bigger. And, uh, you know, your health gets better. And a lot of times it's actually very visible, especially if you're just coming out of a standard American diet really quickly, you get to see changes in your health. So, Hey, we're going to have to wrap up in just a moment, but before we do, do you have any really good tips for people who are looking at their budget right now and looking at the cost of groceries, which we've all seen has gone up significantly in this last year Um, and how to make those things line up in the grocery store, any quick tips or best tips for shopping in the grocery store for uh, saving money while still eating really well. 
I think the number one thing is don't be brand loyal. If you're, if you're, you know, so much depends where you are on your journey. If you're making homemade ketchup, you know, that's going to, and you're fermenting it, and that's going to be less expensive than buying a bottle of ketchup and homemade mayonnaise and things like that. But if you're a little earlier, you know, on your journey and you are shopping up and down the aisles of the grocery store, you got to learn no longer to be brand loyal. I think that you have to be willing to really price shop. You have to compare the brands with the store brand. You have to compare the ounces. Uh, I never say don't use coupons. A lot of people will say, oh, coupons make you spend more. I think if you can be very diligent and uh, control yourself to only uh, use a store coupon or one that you clip or you know now they all come online for something that you really need to buy, and if it's the name brand, compare the ounces. You, know, you got to do a little math and compare the ounces and the price per ounce and at least try it once. Mm-hmm. You, If you say, oh, I don't like that, you know, I really like X brand and I didn't like Y brand. Okay, you don't have to buy it again. But today, I think most store brands are really good. And so I think not being brand loyal and I think you also need to be willing uh, to experiment. Because sometimes there are shortages and what you would normally buy is not available uh, or what you would normally buy has just gotten too expensive. And so sometimes I think you really need to be willing to try new things. You know, like I always tell people, canned kippers are delicious <laughs> and, and, and they're very reasonably priced. And if you're on a really tight budget, you make some rice that you cooked in bone broth with a little butter and a little sea salt. You have some canned kippers on the side, maybe a little bit of uh, vegetables. They can even just be pickled vegetables that you quickly pickle at home or even ones that you buy. And that can be a very good meal, very nutritious. Kippers are nutrient-dense, very high in omega-3. But when I say things like this to people, they're like, kippers, what is even kippers? You know, it's smoked herring. Mm -hmm. That's gross. (laughs) And I always say, you have to try it once. And so many people will come back to me and they'll say, oh, my gosh, they're delicious. <laughs> oh, I tried sardines. I was raised on sardines. But, you know, I tried sardines the way you told me to prepare them and they were delicious. Mm. And now they have nutrient dense foods that are also affordable because I'll say I know we have to wrap up. I will tell you that during the Depression, food was very scarce and my grandmother had to feed. She had to garden. Thank goodness for that. And my mother said they often just ate a lot of vegetables. But whatever she could find during the Depression was what she had to cook with. Mm. And she had navy beans. And she didn't know. She's like, okay, would I soak them? I make a soup. What do do I do with this? And her American neighbor said, you make baked beans. And she's like, baked beans? What are baked beans? And they said, well, you cook the beans, you soak them, and then you mix them with molasses and maybe some mustard, whatever they told her. You bake them in the oven. Well, can you imagine my grandmother's five children when she put bowls of beans floating in a brown liquid in front of them? (laughs) Okay. My mother tells the story to this day, and we start laughing hysterically. She said, the faces near the wheeze around the table what is this? You know? <laughs> and they were horrified, but they were really hungry. <laughs> and 
they ate them and then they found they were delicious. And to this day, she's making baked beans, you know, <laughs> but I, that, you know, you, you can't be brand loyal and you got to be open to trying new things because even, even if you say you bought canned salmon and you really liked making salmon patties and canned salmon, you've seen how it's gone up in price. Canned chicken has gone up in price. You know, you might still be able to, you know, get some tuna fish that's in your budget experiment. I'm seeing people share on the internet tuna cakes, you know, and I imagine maybe they're pretty tasty. And so there's, you just got to have an open mind and you got to try something one time and you may find your palate initially might say it's okay. Not great, but it's okay. And then the second time you're like, Oh, you know, maybe I'm acquiring a taste for this. (laughs) But I think those are the two most important things. And go easy on yourself. Don't, if you, before all this inflation, if you were used to buying what you would consider a higher quality of food, don't stress about it. Don't be hard on yourself. Go easy on yourself. Buy the the reasonable chicken. You know, buy the, you know, also to the whole thing with organic. Oh, gosh, I could go talk forever on this, you know. Uh, organic doesn't mean pesticide free. People don't realize that, you know, Uh, yes. You know, if you can get the clean 15 that are not technically organic, but have less pesticides, don't worry about it. You know, I read an article that said that poor people are not buying fruits and vegetables because we've scared them so into, if you can't buy organic, don't eat it. You know, the ones are not healthy for you. That's nonsense. You know, so, you know, give up organic, give up your pasture, give up your grass fed, whatever the case may be, and just have an open mind, do the best you can. And most important, because I think you probably feel the same way I do, Carolyn, about this, you got to stay in the budget because nothing is worse than when you spend money that's too much above your budget or money you don't have and you get yourself into debt. Then you're under stress. And stress isn't good for digestion. It's not good for anything. It doesn't matter what you eat if you're under stress. But if you stayed in your budget, cooked a 99 cents pound of chicken, and you threw in some non-organic carrots and non-organic onions, everybody's going to eat good. Everybody's going to be fine. Your stress is going to be lowered. And life is going to go on. And as my mother said, God is in his heaven and all is right with the world. That's a good lesson. Well, thank you so much. I think this is such a valuable discussion and I'm so grateful to have you on here. Oh, and yeah, absolutely. So to be friends with you and to know you, you're, you're such, you and Josh are such a wealth of knowledge. I just love you both so much. Oh, you too. And uh, su- such a blessing for all of us. You guys take these lessons, relax a little bit, find the joy in life, Find a little bit of gratitude in this time where the world is shifting, the world is changing, and it's making us all feel a little bit nervous. That's okay. We just do what we need to do next, and we hold on to the joy of life. And, you know, it's going to be okay. You go ahead and do what you can do, and that's all that anybody can expect of you. So thank you, Mary. Thank you so much for being here. If you have not gone over to Mary's channel, you really need to do it. There's so much over there. I know I have learned so much from Mary. So make sure you go check her channel out. 
and um, we'll see you guys real soon. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.